Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and please join me in welcoming our television and webcast audience to today's program. My name is Jennifer Sloan. I'm president of the Canadian Club of Toronto, and we thank our viewing audience for being with us today. The Canadian Club has a long history as the leading current affairs podium in Canada. Led by a volunteer board of directors, we're dedicated to encouraging open and accessible debate on issues that matter to our city, to Ontario, and to Canada. Through our youth and young leaders programs, civic action diversity partnerships, accessibility commitments, as well as through our media partnerships and social media properties, we provide opportunities for Canadians around the world to engage with leading political, business, and public figures. Thank you for joining our conversation today. Before I formally introduce our speaker, I'd like to tell you about our final event of the season. Tomorrow, June 17th, direct from CBC's flagship news program, The National, join seasoned insiders Kathleen Monk, Jamie Watt, and David Hurley, and moderator Don Newman, as they discuss one of the most anticipated Canadian federal elections in decades in front of a live Canadian Club of Toronto audience. You can also join our conversation via Twitter and Instagram by following us at CDNCLUBTO or by using that hashtag. Ladies and gentlemen, on your behalf, let's make some noise for today's guest speaker, or should I say, let's make some music. Music has often been called the universal language. Graham Henderson, President and CEO of Music Canada, speaks the language of music fluently. As head of the association that promotes and advocates the interests of Canadian Canada's music industry, he has been widely recognized for propelling it onto the worldwide stage. As a music ambassador, Mr. Henderson has been the driving force behind a number of innovative initiatives in this province. They include the Toronto-Austin Music City Alliance, the creation of the Ontario Music Fund, and 4479 Toronto. The 4479 Toronto Initiative promotes the growth and development of music as a robust contributor to the city's economy. The results of Mr. Henderson's efforts are being heard near and far. Toronto ranks among the world's greatest music cities. This, according to the Music Canada report, that was released at the world's largest music conference in France earlier this month. The document provides ideas that communities can implement to fully benefit from the music economy, and we'll hear more shortly. Mr. Henderson's professional career has been focused around protecting artists' rights, promoting the music industry, and supporting innovative approaches to its enjoyment. He was one of Canada's leading entertainment lawyers. Later, he served as Senior Vice President, Business Affairs and E-Commerce at Universal Music Canada. There, he helped 
launch PureTracks, Canada's first legal digital music download service. He also serves on a number of boards, including the Corporation of Massey Hall and Roy Thompson Hall, Invest Toronto, Re Sound Music Licensing Company, and he's currently the chair-elect of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Two years ago, he was inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. Mr. Henderson, Graham, the Canadian Club of Toronto's podium, Canada's podium of record, is now yours. Never thought I would walk on stage to the Jefferson Starship. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, which isn't to say Jefferson Airplane, okay. Jefferson Starship, maybe not so okay. Uh, although I, I do have in my record collection uh, Red Octopus. Any other? No? No, okay. That was the first Starship record. I don't know why I have it, but I did. Uh, so... <clears throat> Amy kept that a secret from me. I knew there might be music. Uh, So friends uh, and colleagues, uh, it's my pleasure to join you today uh, to talk about a world-first report uh, written by Music Canada that maps out the path to a vibrant music city. A report that we expect will be used by people around the world uh, for many years to come. Now, there is a growing interest uh, in music city strategies, uh, and that has been evidenced by a whole variety of things. For example, uh, today we have municipal leaders in our audience from around Ontario. Uh, In Brighton, in the United Kingdom, there was a music cities convention uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, which was attended by the representatives of 49 different cities from around the world. Uh, That is where uh, Amy Terrell uh, shared the uh, early findings of our report. Uh, And then, of course, there is the widespread use of Music Canada's 2012 report, uh, which was the result of a best practices investigation uh, on the exploding music scene in Austin, Texas, the putative live music capital of the world. Uh, That report... Uh, which contained 16 recommendations for Toronto specifically, uh, many of which, I might add, have now been implemented, was cited as far away as Sydney and Australia, uh, and was adopted uh, by cities like Chicago. After its release, community leaders from around the world, places like Tampara in Finland uh, and Kuala Lumpur, uh, as well as many communities in Ontario, began asking for a roadmap. And in order to satisfy that demand, uh, Music Canada, with the support of our global uh, counterpart, the IFPI, uh, set out to study music cities around the world. The mastering of a music city was produced after interviews with music and municipal leaders in 22 cities from every continent on the planet, Berlin, Nashville, London, both Londons, uh, Montreal, Seattle, Melbourne, Gothenburg, and Bogota. It is a global best practices book. It has case studies in it that tell you 
what a music city is, how a community can become a music city, but just as importantly, why would you want to be a music city? Now, the mastering of a music city has been called a marvel, uh, an epic undertaking, and game-changing, and game-changing initiative. And I, you'll have to forgive me, I wrote those quotes. Uh, so I, was a, I got a little carried away. Amy said, you know, we, need to, how, we need to make it sound exciting. Marvel. Um, <laughs> uh, I then wrote, your report, it, no. Um, <laughs> your report is brilliant and so important to advancing music cities and the music city uh, and the music industry overall. That was said by Kate Becker, who is the director of Seattle's Film and Music Office. And we had an opportunity to spend some time with Kate in Cannes at Madame. And she is nothing short of amazing. And uh, we have a lot to learn from what Seattle has done. Um, another commentator, our, our own Aaron Benjamin, who is the executive director of Music Canada Live, said it will be a powerful tool for the live sector especially to leverage ongoing and future conversations in our cities and towns across the country. And then there's this from our own mayor, John Tory. He said, the mastering of a Music City report reinforces in my mind the real potential of what supporting the music industry can do to transform and grow a real 21st century city. The report will provide the city recommendations on how to support the industry as we work on our aggressive timeline to develop a music city strategy in consultation with the music community. Now, Mayor Tory, uh, just an anecdote, he came and provided a little eight-minute uh, introduction uh, to a, a panel that we hosted, Music Canada hosted at Canadian Music Week, and this was an excitement for us. So he came, he spoke, and after he was done, that, that little gathering, it's a global music forum, so there's people from all over the world. Uh, Amy and I were besieged by people from other cities who wanted our mayor. Can we have him? We want that mayor. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, you can't have him. I'm speaking to you, the rest of the world. Uh, today, uh, I will share a little bit of what is in our report and has justified this high praise. I will also identify which recommendations that we feel might be most pressing uh, for our own city. But first, I want to acknowledge the incredible team who put this study together. Uh, Amy Terrell, our own VP of Public Affairs, uh, led the research and wrote the report. Uh, our friend Don Hogarth, who is somewhere out there, uh, there he is, uh, provided critical editorial oversight. He's a great editor, terrific communications consultant. If you need his card, he's there or I'll give it to you. Um, we also had two brilliant research assistants, uh, Alex Clement, a recent graduate of U of T's School of Public Policy and Guidance, and he's right there, and also Roxanne Francis, who was a graduate of the Business Management Program at the University of Westminster in the UK. Um, she was also one of the very first people that we encountered who was actually using the concept of music tourism uh, as a term of art. Uh, other music leaders like uh, Sylvia DiDonato from Kitchener, uh, somewhere out there, uh, she, uh, is, uh, she's in the room, but they're all thanked in our report, which you'll be able to pick up on the way out. So let's just acknowledge something for the moment uh, that I hope we're all going to agree with, and that is Toronto is, right now, a great music city. 
As our focus groups for the development of the Music City brand, 4479 Toronto reinforced, our city's unique offering is that we have the most diverse, globally sourced music experience of any city in the world, period. Our venues, many, like Massey Hall, which are steeped in music lore, range from the intimate to world tour-worthy. Our audience is informed, passionate, and open-minded, and all of this is housed in this amazingly culturally diverse metropolis. On top of that, now, more than ever before, we are a city where music leaders and advocates working alongside municipal leaders to enhance the music economy. And a timely example of this was the decision two weeks ago by the City of Toronto to review its postering regulations. These are regulations which which impose crippling fines on venues for postering over which they have absolutely no control. This issue was first raised by Music Canada in that 2012 Austin-Toronto report. And I should offer a shout-out to Mike Tanner, Uh, who is our Music Sector Development Officer at the City, and Zabe Sheikh, Commissioner for Film and uh, Entertainment Industries, for their efforts on this and many other files. Thank you. Now, our friends in the audience from London, Ontario, and Kitchener can also take credit for significantly improving the music environment in their communities. For example, London uh, very recently announced that they will create a new music incubator uh, designed to identify and nurture new music talent. Uh, Kitchener has implemented what we consider to be a world-class 10-point plan, which they call Music Works, uh, that was developed through a a grassroots community consultation. Ontario communities are, in fact, in the forefront of work being done to stimulate growth of the commercial music sector. Music Canada has met with and or attended town hall meetings in almost a dozen major centres. Barrie, Collingwood, Guelph, Hamilton, Kingston, Kitchener, London, Peterborough, St. Catharines, Toronto and Windsor. And of course, the Government of Ontario. Two years ago, they announced the Live Music Strategy, a strategy intended to make Ontario a global destination for music tourism. And today, I'm pleased to share our roadmap to further aid all of these efforts. The mastering of a music city identifies the five key elements of a music city seven effective strategies, and a bevy of benefits. It sets out 31 recommendations for communities of all sizes to consider. The report is chock full of detailed examples, and I hope you will take a copy with you when you leave. So, a music city starts here. And you can have a look at the infographic. It starts with artists and musicians. Of course, the foundation. It starts with thriving music scenes. It starts with access to spaces and places. It starts with a receptive and engaged audience and an ecosystem of music-related businesses. These emerged as the key elements of a music city. 
But close behind, we found other important qualities that include multi-jurisdictional government support, music history and identity, and vitally, music education. As to music education, for example, we can look no further, for example, than the wonderful project that has been initiated by our friends at Music Counts and the TD Bank, uh, a project supporting music education in our communities across the country. We are extremely grateful for partnerships like this and look forward to a day when all levels of government give more attention and precedence to music education. Now let's examine a few of the effective strategies that are identified in the report. So, artists and musicians are undoubtedly the heart of a music city. Now I remember an early meeting of our Toronto Music Advisory Council, uh, which uh, has about 30 representatives of the business community and uh, city government on it. And uh, I had been making a presentation about the importance of, uh, of a music-friendly environment. I used that term. And after I was finished, one of the uh, musicians who sits on that council, Miranda Mulholland, put her hand up and she agreed with what I'd been saying. But she says, I want to add one proviso to what you said. And that is, it's great to be music-friendly. Let's make sure it's also musician-friendly. There's a difference. And you only have to look at the current musical landscape to understand why that piece is so critical today. Because today, more than ever, our professional class of musicians uh, is at risk. Before the digital revolution, it was possible for a band to enjoy a comfortable living, to produce recordings, to do a bit of touring. Today, in contrast, most musicians rely on second jobs and supplemental income. The Canadian Independent Music Association for example, estimates the average income of these creative people is around $7,000. Over the last 15 years, we have witnessed the virtual eradication of the creative middle class. Surely that was not in any plan. In this environment, affordability becomes increasingly crucial. Many cities in our research reported that over the past number of decades, there had been an organic gathering of artists on account of low costs of living. For example, Berlin. Uh, it was a destination for artist entrepreneurs. They were drawn to the city after the fall of the wall, uh, and creativity was encouraged by flats and studios that were extremely cheap. Montreal and Nashville have also banked in the past on their inexpensive working spaces, but increasingly, those, in those same cities, affordability is in question, and it most certainly is in question here in our city. I recall our friend Andrew Cash, a musician, musician advocate, and now Toronto area MP, who I'm sure you all know. I remember him literally begging me at an early meeting uh, to make this aspect part of our studies. Well, Andrew, we did. So what musician-friendly policies can help? Affordable housing can be a solution, and it is being explored in many U.S. cities. It was, in fact, also a key recommendation of a recently released Austin Music Census, which I strongly recommend to anybody in this room who is interested in uh, the interaction between musicians and music cities. It was a music census which provides a detailed look at the health of the Austin music industry. It followed a survey of nearly 4,000 musicians, music entrepreneurs, and workers, as well as venue operators. The census identified 
fault lines in a city whose reputation has been built on music, but in which musicians find it more and more difficult to make a living. Artist entrepreneur training is also critical, as many are today struggling to figure out how to monetize their work and how to develop a career rather than a hobby. Now, the Chamber of Commerce in Bogota, Colombia, has made this a priority, professional development programming. This, too, was identified by the Austin Census as a gap in their landscape. Now, today, here in Toronto, we have a few students from Coalition's Muse Artist Entrepreneur Program, and I'd like to welcome them over there. Thank you. And finally, artists need many different types of professionals to support them at each stage of their career. Large gaps in this talent base can lead to an out-migration of artists as they move to other cities in order to develop a team of professionals around them. In Toronto, we are fortunate not to face this issue. Alberta, on the other hand, uh, we did a study with Alberta, struggles to retain their artists in the face of a dearth, for example, of managers. Our report identifies a range of policies that make a city music and musician friendly. Things like loading zones for musicians, progressive planning laws, and transportation or transit to and from venues for, for fans. Just improving the lines of communication with City Hall and reducing red tape can surprisingly make a music city much more musician friendly. In Seattle, loading zones for musicians eliminated a problem that is the bane of artists' existence, and that is being ticketed and towed at load in and load out. This is a best practice that Toronto could explore. Gentrification is also an issue around, that is being faced around the world, and it is threatening the continued operation of many storied venues, recording studios, and other music businesses, for example, like RCA Studio A in Nashville or 21 Bar in London. Heritage designation is a tool that we've described in our report. And we gave the recent heritage designation of the historic uh, Silver Dollar Room as an example. In this case, the designation has ultimately led to a compromise solution which will save this historically significant venue in Toronto. Arriving at these music-friendly and musician-friendly solutions has to be done in consultation with the community affected most, and that is your music community. Our report identifies a number of ways to do that, but most important, we think, is a music advisory council, and Toronto has one, which creates an opportunity for two-way dialogue between the city the music community, and other interested groups, such as the tourism folks or business improvement associations, such as our incredible downtown young BIA, which has what has to be one of the most comprehensive, forward-thinking music strategies in the world. Thank you, Mark Garner and the downtown young BIA for that. Toronto's Music Advisory Council is a prime example and it has already produced results, some of which I mentioned earlier. Now, with friends from Tourism Toronto 
and London tourism in the room, I want to also discuss music tourism, which is another strategy recommended in our report. You need to look no further than Austin, Memphis, or Nashville to see the results of an effective music tourism strategy. Tourism, as I've come to learn, is all about product. What products are you offering to the world to induce folks from around the world to visit your community? Well, music provides one of the most compelling offers. It's anchored by music heritage, it's anchored by festivals, and it's anchored by a vibrant local scene. Toronto has all three. But what makes music tourism most compelling is that it is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 52-week-a-year proposition. Music tourists can consume music every day of the year here in Toronto. And there was a report that I saw just on the way here from the Times of London that pointed to a $3 billion economic impact uh, in the UK from music tourists specifically. Music tourism is compelling for another reason. Because according to the 2009 Sorbero report, Discovering Ontario, tourism is the largest employer of young people in the province of Ontario. So music tourism packs a punch. Just ask Barrie and Aurelia and Oral Medanti County, now the beneficiary of Boots and Hearts and the Way Home Festivals. It generates millions of dollars in concert and festival tickets, merchandise, hotel and restaurants, creates jobs at all of these businesses, and it builds a city's brand, a global brand. In Toronto, a nascent branding effort has emerged tying our music brand to our place on the globe, using our latitude and longitude, 4479. And we say in four, at 4479, Toronto, music meets world. But we're not alone. Seattle calls itself the city of music. Melbourne is music city, so is Nashville. And Memphis is, can't get much better than this, Soulsville, USA. <laughs> Uh, but let's now focus on why a city would want to grow its music economy. Well, the benefits are very, very wide-ranging. Social and cultural benefits have long been understood, but examples from some of the unexpected locations of the world that we studied bring this point home. South Africa, for example, has high levels of crime and unemployment, and it's a society that is divided by race, language, and income disparity. But Concerts South Africa, in conversation with us, identified music as a unifier, a way to bring people from all races, income levels, and language together. In Finland, music is understood to be an effective means of communicating with, of connecting with at-risk youth, providing them with a productive way to spend their time, develop their talents and skills, and hopefully change the course of their lives. Now, lesser known is the concept of talent attraction, not just within the music community, we get that, but within other sectors. Cities and businesses are in competition for young talent. A great music scene 
is attractive to these young workers. No wonder then that the industrial companies in Gothenburg, Sweden, put their financial support directly behind the production and promotion of music. The economic benefits of a vibrant music economy have been less well understood, but the evidence is actually overwhelming. Job creation, investment attraction, dollars spent in the community and on music tourism, these are tangible financial benefits of music. Take Melbourne. Live music alone generates 116,000 jobs in Melbourne. And there's more than $1 billion in spending at small venues, concerts, and festivals. Music tourism in Austin accounts for almost half of their $1.6 billion economic output and contributes $38 million in tax revenue to the city. In 2013, the music industry in Nashville helped to create and sustain 56,000 jobs supported more than 3.2 billion of annual labor income and contributed 55 billion dollars to the local economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Toronto, Kitchener, Windsor, Ottawa, we all want this and music can do this for us. Many municipalities and now higher levels of government are beginning to recognize music as a key economic sector. And in Ontario, we know this is certainly the case, where Premier Wynne has made the music sector a priority for her government. Thank you, Premier, and all of the other believers in your government. Adding music to the industrial or economic development portfolio can lead to greater awareness, support, and investment. This is but a taste of the information that is contained in our report, Mastering of a Music City. But as you can see, it's specific. It's full of relevant examples. Already this report is arming those who navigate these waters with evidence-based research. Sylvia, I hope it helps you in Kitchener, Chris in London, and Mike in Toronto. Just the other day, as we were leaving Medem, we received a note from the IFPI indicating that Bjorn Alvius of the band ABBA, who was a hugely influential figure in the Swedish uh, music environment, he asked if we would be willing to go to Sweden and attend meetings with federal and city officials in Stockholm. Of course, the answer is yes, we will. In fact, we hope that all music leaders and advocates, elected officials and bureaucrats, utilize these recommendations because the global music community only stands to gain if music-friendly and musician-friendly cities dot the globe. Now, Toronto was cited throughout our report in terms of initiatives being undertaken that could be emulated in other cities. But of course, our city, like others, is by no means perfect. Key among the recommendations that we feel should be adopted here would be some of the music and musician-friendly policies that I'll mention now. Affordable housing for musicians, as well as additional training and professional development. A plan to address compliance issues that crop up on a frequent basis. 
land use planning that takes into account culturally significant zones. In addition, we think Toronto should develop, and I believe is in the process of doing so, an inventory of existing venues, recording studios, and so forth to identify gaps. What are we missing? What do we need? And we should think in terms of a hub or an accelerator. In closing, I'd like to share another portion of Mayor Tory's reaction to our report, in which, which I think demonstrates the depth of commitment uh, exhibited in this city for this work. And he said this, as City Hall pursues its vigorous agenda in supporting the music sector, and how wonderful is it to hear words like that, we look to sector leaders like Music Canada to continue their invaluable work in elevating and solidifying Toronto's position as a world-leading music city. It's partnerships between the city and the music industry, it is partnerships between the city and the music industry that will ensure Toronto becomes a thriving music city. What a terrific aspiration for the Mayor of Toronto to have. So what does this mean to those of you in this room who have an interest in promoting music and supporting it? This document is a tool that you can use to leverage support. It is a way to explain the importance of music to policymakers and others in other parts of the business community who have never thought of it this way. Traditionally, governments have supported music because they believe in the importance of our Canadian voices and our Canadian stories, and they are important. But now we have a much better understanding of the incredible effect music scenes and those voices and stories can have on the vitality of our communities. This research can help you do that. Example, I'm on the board of Roy Thompson and Massey Hall. This is one of the crown jewels of music venues in Canada, if not the crown jewel, and certainly one of the crown jewels in the world. It's undergoing an extensive renovation, desperately needed, to secure its place for succeeding generations so that it stays at the pinnacle that it has occupied for preceding generations. This will not come cheaply. But this document, this document can act as a foundation for seeking assistance from the government. It makes it plain that support for Massey Hall is not just support for a beautiful hall on Shooter Street in downtown Toronto. It is support for a critical component of an engine that is music in Toronto, an engine that can develop, nurture, and launch careers, an engine that is inextricably linked to our city's greatness. Well, that's but one example. This report is for everyone, at every level, at every stage of their career, and in every community of our country. Thank you.
So, hi, my name is Carrie Kirkman. I'm a director of the Canadian Club of Toronto. Mr. Henderson, on behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto, we are delighted that you joined us this afternoon to share the exciting results of Music Canada's groundbreaking report. The mastering of a music city can bring so many benefits to cities everywhere. And how fortunate that Canada's largest city is being recognized among global music powerhouses like London, Berlin, and New Orleans. Mr. Henderson, the Canadian music industry is fortunate to have you as a champion and an ambassador. For more than 25 years, you've worked tirelessly to promote and advance the interests of artists, producers, promoters, manufacturers, and distributors. You've helped the industry evolve and keep pace with changing times. Today, as a result of your efforts, Canadian music is well-recognized and topping international charts. We wish you well as you continue to facilitate the establishment of more music cities, and may your efforts always be a hit. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie, and I too would personally like to thank Graham, who I'm fortunate enough to call friend, mm -hmm. to our podium today. Your passion uh, for this industry and for those in it is just unprecedented, and um, we owe you so much. Thank you, and congratulations to you and to your team on this fantastic report that we'll all take time to read afterwards. Before I adjourn today's meeting, I'd like to draw your attention to our event survey cards on each of your table. The Canadian Club is always looking for ways to improve your experience here at the club. So if you take a minute to help us by sharing your thoughts and your comments, the feedback would very much be appreciated, including whether you've liked our new shortened luncheon format this season. This concludes our program for today, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and for 680 News for their continuing promotion of Canadian Club events. To learn more about our club, please visit us at www.canadianclub.org. Ladies and gentlemen, you were a fantastic attentive audience today. Thank you so much. Our meeting is now adjourned. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to prolong matters, but you're filling out the forms. I know you're saying how great it was. I, I really need to thank uh, the presidents of Universal Sony and Warner, Randy Lennox and uh, Shane Carter and Steve Kane, uh, because um, <laughs> they believe in this. Uh, this is absolutely core to who they are uh, as corporate members of our community, responsible corporate members of our community. They care about the entire ecosystem. Uh, it isn't just what matters, you know, you know, on the day-to-day -day books. It's what matters. It's what counts for everybody. So I, I thank you very much. And the other thing I just wanted to say was my son is here, uh, Ed, and he is an inspiration to me. And so, Ed, you should just stand up. And, um,